Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The home of endurance racing. RadioLeMans.com. Hello everyone, this is Mobile One Radio Le Mans on 91.2 FM and around the world at RadioLeMans.com and it's the time of year when we look forward to the 24 hours of Le Mans. 2015's edition promises to be one of, if not the best, in, well, certainly my lifetime, perhaps in living memory. At the sharp end of the field, four major factories will be battling it out for the honour of the winner of the Grand Prix Don Durant. But of course, as always at Le Mans, there's more than just the one story. And in this edition of our preview shows, brought to you by Travel Destinations, our official travel partner, we'll be looking at the GT category. The good news for you is it's not just me talking about it. We have from dailysportscar.com, it's editor Graham Goodwin. Hello, Graham. Good evening, John. And from Radio Le Mans, Mobile One Radio Le Mans for 2016, we have Shea Adam. Hello, John. Hello, Graham. Uh, Shea will be back with us uh, in uh, a while as well, talking to our friend in the travel trade, uh, Richard Webb, who will be giving us that very, very sage advice about uh, travelling to Le Mans and what to do whilst at Le Mans. Uh, and she'll also be chipping in uh, with some of the details of drivers that Graham and I, frankly, uh, really haven't got up to date with yet. Um, it, the GT category, lady and gentlemen, um, looking very, very impressive again and with 23 entries is not quite uh, half the field but it's it's getting on for it and you know we talk about the prototypes an awful lot rightly so the sharp end of the field Graham is going to be something we'll look at uh, in a later program the P2s in terms of a single category are the the most cars that we have the most profligate but there is some real class here in the GTs and in some ways Le Mans and street cars it's it's the beginnings it's the very history of Le Mans going back to 1923 prove road car technology well We've got plenty of technology in the other categories, but these are the cars that are closest to the road cars and in some ways perhaps the most pure Le Mans machines. And they're also something else, John. They're the cars that probably the likes of you and I aspire to. Uh, these are point. the road cars. These these are the cars that, you know, they're on a lottery hit list, if you like. <laughs> the other thing to say about yes, these... Yes, all of them. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> the other thing to say about these, these cars, but more particularly these drivers, is if you're interested in where the next generation of LMP1 drivers are going to come from. You do worse than to look at this lot because the history, recent history has told us that this is where the factories are now looking for for the next LMP uh, talents. They're looking to the GT ranks because you know it is a pure form of racing. There is development potential here. Uh, there are skill sets being developed here that are being directly translated uh, to the LMP classes and around half of the 2015 LMP1 drivers field has been drawn from factory GTE or GT3 programs so 
you know, there's another good reason to talk about it. That's quite aside from the fact that we've got some, you know, some long-lived uh, GT talent in its own right. Uh, and, you know, and 23 cars, you're right, John, not quite half the field. I think it's a lot healthier uh, GTE contingent than perhaps we expected at the beginning of the year, um, drawn from right across the world from you know all the major championships under the ACO's banner with an uh, with the odd one or two uh, added in uh, for good measure um yes i think at this stage we could do with a little more variety but that is coming um but there's no shortage here of quality uh, seven different countries represented in terms of the nationalities of the entries if you take pro and am together uh, five major manufacturers ferrari uh, aston martin corvette Porsche and Viper. Have I missed anybody out there? I don't think I have. But welcome back to Viper, uh, of course, particularly with the uh, Riley Motorsports. And let's talk. Let's start in the GT AM category. Share Adam uh, from Mobile One Radio Le Mans, uh, 91.2 FM is with me. These are the guys that got in um, from the only one car that came in from the reserve list, Share. And uh, Jerome Blake and Morland, the Dutchman, but with Two American rookies, Ben Keating and Mark Miller. Uh, ben inextricably linked with Viper because of his business. Mark Miller's been driving all kinds of things for many years. Easy to think of him as a rookie, but forget his other experience. Let's talk about Ben Keating first of all. He is Mr. Viper Exchange, of course. That he is, and Ben has won several championships around the United States driving Vipers. He's very familiar with these cars. Don't forget, he won the 24 Hours of Daytona to kick off the year in a Viper. He drove two of them throughout the race so he could get extra time preparing for Le Mans. He knew he was going to be coming here. He was hopeful that he would get in with the way the entries would play out, and it's paid off for him. Ben is very, very good behind the wheel of a Viper. Mark Miller, as I said, the the temptation is to go Mark who? Obviously on Radio Le Mans, we've known him for a a little while. He's he's worked with CJ Wilson uh, and the, the racing team there, MX-5s, but he's got quite a bit of experience behind him. He really does. He started off in Formula cars, racing up in Canada, actually. That's where his career began. And he's just continued to build and build and build, driving literally anything he could get his hands on. He was one of those guys who you saw his name on the entry list and went, he deserves a real chance. I'm glad to see that. Fortunate enough to get his announcement on the show on Midweek Motorsport a few uh, weeks ago now. And, and teamed with those two rookies, uh, as as they are in, in Le Mans terms, Graham, Jerome Blankemolen, who frankly is another man who you could plug into anything, prototype GT, right at the sharp end of the field. You could put him in a manufacturer, a works drive, and Graham... He would not let you down. He's a very, very safe pair of hands and a fast pair of feet as well. He most certainly is. I mean, I think I'm right in saying he's raced at Le Mans in a P1, a P2, and now in GTE as well. Mm. Uh, and, you know, wins at will, seemingly. The other thing to say about uh, this car, because of the presence of this car, and it is a one-off entry, of course, at the moment for the GTE Spec Viper, is that this, I believe, is the only race in the world this year where you will see... GTE, Corvettes and Vipers go head-to-head. And not only go head-to-head with the factory Corvettes, but go head-to-head with the GTM Corvette you're going to be talking about, I'm sure, in just a moment, John. So lovers of, you know, fine American automobiles uh, knocking lumps out of each other on a race course, uh, you know, will will have no further to look (laughs) than this entry list because it is great to see it back. It really is great to see it back. It was such a shame 
when the fine folks at SRT had to give best to economic reality and park the factory program. And, uh, you know, with what we believe is coming, you know, in future years, well, we can only hope that perhaps uh, things might change. You uh, followed my train of thought looking at the entry list perfectly. The 53 car is the Riley Morton Sports TI Auto Dodge Viper SRT GTSR. Trips off the tongue, isn't it? Which is almost as interesting as the number 50, Labra Competition, um, which obviously Jolly Jack Leconte skies back again with the Chevrolet Corvette C7R for Gianluca Roda, Paolo Roberti, two Italians there, and Christian Poulsen. Now, this Graham is a car that comes out of the FIA World Endurance Championship, the WEC. It's a full mm-hmm. season entry and rightly gets its place at Le Mans because of that. And not before time that we are seeing a Corvette in the World Championship at this level, a C7R Corvette in the World Championship. As yet, sadly, no sign of the works teams in the World Championship, although obviously we'll talk about them when we get to the AMS, to the pros rather in Le Mans. But, Labra competition, once again, with a rich heritage of running this type of car at the very highest level. Uh, yeah, and I think it was it four class wins on the trot yes. for Labra, three of which were with a man we'll talk about when we come to P2, Julien Canal, three yeah. uh, class wins in a row. Unfancied as well, in fact. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, certainly Jacques Leconte has been trying to put together something with a C7R since the, the, uh, the new car was actually announced and I think still has an eye on perhaps even putting a car into the pro class. But, you know, for that, uh, plenty of backing is going to have to come. But, you know, the, 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 the team needs no introduction. They are past masters at uh, the Mans and all endurance racing. Uh, winners as well at Spa in the 24-hour race, of course, with, mm-hmm. in their Viper days, rather, uh, conversely. Uh, Christian Poulsen, part, part of the, the, the Dane train uh, efforts uh, of last year, so a, a you know a reigning world champion, of course, on that front in GTE Am. Uh, Paolo Roberti, I think, one of the quickest men in the whole GTE field. Mm-hmm. It would not be uh, not be surprised to see Paolo putting that car right in amongst the pro cars when it gets to qualifying time at the Le Mans 24 Hours. We know that the Chevrolet Corvette can be very quick. Um, uh, you know, and then we've got Gianluca Roda, who has now for three years, I think, been um, Paolo's gentleman driver partner in crime. Yeah. And they've done the whole set, really. They're now moving to uh, Corvettes after having had a crack at Porsche. Uh, Gianluca Roda twice winner of the Porsche Cup, the, um, the most successful Porsche privateer racer, then with the eight-star Ferrari, and of course, and now with the Chevrolet Corvette. Um, you know, this is a team would be foolish to discount as being potentially, um, you know, uh, you know uh, a factor as this race unwinds. The, the interesting thing about, uh, about this, Shea, is that we haven't seen the works cars in the, the FIA WEC and effectively it has been left to Labra competition to, to fly the flag in the World Championship, apart from a couple or at least one um, a, a sort of guest entry. But there's no reason, when you look at Gianluca Aroda, Paolo Roberti and Christian Poulsen, why they couldn't be there or thereabouts. Um, and we should explain as well the meaning of of gentleman driver, because in the AM class, one of, of your drivers has to be silver or bronze and has to do a certain amount 
of driving. That's why it's called AM. Not because they're all AM, because some of them are. But Gianluca Roda is a very good non-pro driver. He is. He won Sebring a few years back, if you remember, across in the States, driving with Ruberti, the uh, team of them. But you look at what he has been able to do. In the 2012 season alone, he had four major wins between Sebring, Spa, Brazil, and Bahrain. And uh, his best finish at Le Mans, though, fourth. So this could be an opportunity, especially with the new C7R, for him personally to take a step forward and maybe get closer to his two professional co-drivers. It's interesting. We'll say this about LMP2 when we're there, that the thing that now really is the difference between many teams is the performance, the consistency, not even perhaps the outright speed, but the consistent speed of the non-professional drivers. Some of them don't like to be called gentlemen. Uh, And quite frankly now, you can't just, Shea, opt in and out of this. You have to make a decision to be a driver and to, to dedicate quite a bit of time to it, it's not like the days when you could just turn up and race at the weekends. Oh, no. If, if you think that driving your streetcar is going to be good enough practice, then you're wrong. Doing the odd tractor. Yeah, exactly. You need more than that. You need to spend time working on a simulator. You need to spend time getting in your training, making sure you're fit enough to make it through not only one complete stint, maybe four hours worth of driving. And if you think that going to the track and just saying, yep, I got a load of money, I can afford the ride, I'm going to win. Well, <laughs> no, you're not. That's the two Singleton entries, Graham, in terms of the manufacturers, uh, Chevrolet Corvette the, and, and Dodge Viper. The, the Ferraris are the most numerous in the category, and within that it's AF Corsa, who in one way or another are involved in running most of the cars. They've got three cars under their own uh, name, the 83 for Francois Perodo, Emmanuel Collard and Rui Aguash. The 55, Duncan Cameron, Matt Griffin and Alex Mortimer, Anglo-Irish entrants there. And the AF Corsa 61 car is Peter Ashley Mann from America, Raphael Gianmaria and um, Matteo Cressoni. The AF Corsa concern, empire perhaps is a better (laughs) word, Um, (laughs) Amato Ferrari knows no bounds there oh, are. Well, uh, were you on a number or two? Yeah, come on. Uh, well, I mean, I think, Shay, you were there with me in the uh, pit lane when we had a quick chat with team managers at AF Corsa. AF Corsa manage and run this year 110 GT race cars. <laughs> 110. That includes about 26, 27 cars in the Maserati, Maserati Trofeo. So, in other words, that's more or less an arrive and drive. Uh, championship. So they run all of those, yeah. They run all of those cars. They run a similar um, uh, championship in, I think, in Asia for Ferrari Challenge, uh, but d- dozens and dozens of cars in more or less every championship you can name. That The fact that it was notable at the Dubai 24 Hours that they didn't have a car should mm. tell you how omnipresent that team is. And it's awesome. I mean, you know, we, we, we can, you know what, we could moan and groan about, oh, it's another AF Corsa Ferrari. You know, look, look at the times when we would have been grateful for another two, three, four uh, cars here. And the other thing to say about this is when you look at names like Duncan Cameron mm. and, uh, you know, Peter Mann, uh, etc., and Francois Perodo, these are guys who've been drawn into high-level motorsport because mm. of the business model of AF Corsa. I, I'm not going to tell you which driver, but I'll tell you, at least one driver 
is on the grid at the Le Mans 24 Hours this year, thanks to AF Corsa showing them that uh, the route they took earlier in their gentleman driver career was basically one with a team that were not doing a very good job, were taking money out of the back pocket, I'm afraid, and, and st- you know, basically stunting that potential career. And by the by, stunting the potential career of the, of the pro drivers they take with them. So thanks are due, I think, here um, to uh, Amato Ferrari, to Batty and all the guys at AF Corsa for flying the flag for Ferrari, flying the flag for proper pro-am racing here. And and giving us, I think, something to cheer on if you if you are a fan of high revving V8s. Yeah, I, I, Ferrari don't have a factory, full factory works GT team. If it did, it would look rather like AF Corsa, uh, I think. Uh, the four five eight Italia GT two, for that is its proper name. It's still called a GT two. Tells you if you know anything about the sport. Just how old share that car is. It's been around that chassis for a long time, albeit with some revisions. It's not in the first flush of youth. Indeed, the uh, 488, the turbo car, is already being developed uh, by Ferrari. But that's not necessarily a bad thing when it comes to the 24 hours of Le Mans because these guys, and particularly, yeah, of course, sir, but anyone who's run that car for any time is... is pretty much across all its foibles yeah it's tried it's tested you know when something breaks roughly where it may have broken because you've got a million other cars racing out there that have had the exact same problem so you know where the problem is and where the solution is and we're talking about something that the mechanics know the ins and outs of every single car but when you've done 24-hour race after 24-hour race with the car you know it better and that's an advantage over the first two cars we talked about. The C7R did the 24 hours of Daytona and the 24 hours of Le Mans in GTE Pro spec, effectively. Yeah. They did it in Pro last year at Le Mans, and uh, they ran GTLM at Daytona. But they haven't run it in the AM spec for 24 hours in the way that it needs to be run. Same thing with the uh, SRT. In fairness, let's not forget that the cars, in terms of pure specification, are now the same as the, the pros. There's no... Um, there's no need for them to be year old no, cars. But John, but, but John, but Shay has the, a very good point. The you, teams you, haven't run them, and the, but more than that, it's it's the compromise you have to build into the setup of those cars to accommodate the needs, the wishes of the gentleman of the gentleman driver. So yes. you know what you can do. It's a bit like this it, isn't a GT3 car, ladies and gentlemen. No, this no. isn't a car that has been designed for portly fifty-two-year-old. Company directors like right, myself right, to jump okay. into, <laughs> and, personal. No. And, feel, <laughs> and feel. But in fairness, Graham, you know what I mean. You know when I know exactly what you mean. speak I to think... the guys at Bentley, speak to the guys at Aston Martin, speak to the guys at Ferrari. The GT3 cars are a particular product for a particular potential driver that can get them close with the driving aids, can get them close if they are competent drivers to the same sort of times that a pro gets out of it. Because ultimately, there's only so fast you can go in any car, however good you are, and then physics takes over. This is a GTE car. This is a GT2, as they call it, car. It doesn't have the ABS. It does have a form of traction control, of course. But this is a far different car. It has a lot more aero. You're looking to take a lot more speed through the centre of the corners. You're looking to brake a lot later. It's a very different driving style and therefore a different animal. So I, you, you both make 
very good points. We've mentioned the three EF Corsa cars. We've got to talk about the USA entered car, the uh, Scuderia Corsa, Bill Sweedler, Townsend Bell and Jeff Siegel car. Bill Sweedler, such a great bloke. Townsend Bell, of course, again, drives everything. And Jeff Siegel, well, Bill Sweedler and Jeff Siegel may be the two guys that people know least about this year. Well, they, they may be, but they shouldn't be. Their credentials stand out for them. Bill Sweedler won the 12 Hours of Sebring back in 2013, I believe it was. Uh, no, 2012, driving with Townsend. So the two of them have experience in endurance races together. Then 2014 rolls along, and all three of those guys won the 24 Hours of Daytona, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the Level 5 car. Then yeah. the debut to the United Sports Car Championship race in GTD behind the wheel of a Ferrari. They're familiar with the in and outs of a Ferrari and run Scuderia Corsa over in the States. Which isn't a AF Corsa run car. It's Corsa rather than Corset. Uh, so, you know, they've, they've, I'm sure they've, they've had some words with Amato uh, in the, it's in the Kessel, past. It's, it's Kessel Racing actually yes. running the car. at uh, So another team with huge Ferrari huge. experience. And, and it was Kessel until Michelotto took on the mantle to, to, to build the uh, GT3 cars in the more recent years. Kessel used, uh, started out by building the first iterations of Ferrari GT3 machinery. So Kessel, Kessel are very well versed in preparation of Ferrari. The other car, though, John, that is prepared by, of course, was the SMP racing car. Yes. Now, this is, uh, this is a bit of a, um, a queer fish, as it were. Um, it says SMP Racing on the side. Um, it has Viktor Scheiter, uh, Alexei Bazov, uh, the two Russian drivers, and Andrea Bertolini, well-known uh, Italian in that. But this is effectively a customer operation in in every way, shape or form. But there's going to be some AF Corsa, a lot of AF Corsa uh, guys running that car. Uh, there are, the, but the, basic, the, the, the way the dealers worked, and we'll I come to talk about their LMP2 entry a little later, is the the things that have come with this car. And this, uh, let's not forget, by the way, is last year's um, GTE champion from the uh, European Le Mans series, the 72 car. Yep. Uh, what's come with the, t- uh, the, uh, the car to the AF Corsa team this year is the car, the driving squad, and Steve Doc Bunkle, the race engineer. Mm. That's what remains from the 72 mm. from last year, but it goes now to be... Full WC entry, of course, and uh, with a full AF Corsa crew. So it will sit uh, in the uh, WEC uh, garages for the remainder of the year alongside the, is it the 83 car. It is the 83 yeah. car that's the full season entry. So those two cars are you know, under the AF Corsa. Um, that's the Emmanuel you know, Collard, Rui like. Aguash and Francois Perrault car we mentioned earlier. Yeah, Absolutely. But it is an, uh, entered under the SMP Racing banner um, and replaces in the AF Corsa team the uh, prototypes which should move to SMP's in-house team. Correct, and we'll talk about that in the LMP2 programme. Um, the other Ferrari I've deliberately uh, left till last, and this is the JMW Motorsport car. Jim McWhirter back again to a race that, frankly, he must feel owes him something. There's been a number of times uh, in the past that his yellow Ferraris, running on Dunlop tyres, the only one uh, to do so amongst uh, 13 Michelin runners in the AM class and another nine Michelin runners in the Pro class. So very much the odd man out here. But renewing what was a long-term relationship with Dunlop, Jim McWhirter, 
And as I say, Graham, he must feel like there is... Well, I don't know if you ever think Lamont owes you uh, anything. Michael Avenatti from the States with Kuba Gimaziak, who I immediately associate with Porsche, mm-hmm. and Abdulaziz Al-Faisal, again, mm-hmm. who I would associate with Porsche. But wait... First of all, great to see JMW and Jim McWhirt are back on the entry list and at Le Mans exactly where he should be for a team of that type. Correctly so, John. Uh, many years, the fabulous yellow uh, Ferrari uh, and has multiple the track. European Le Mans series and Absolutely. European back GT in the, back in the day yeah. with the likes of Jimmy Bruni and Rob Bell and yep. uh, and God bless his memory, Alan Simonson. Mm. Uh, that missed out on that title, uh, you may or may not recall, many, many moons ago because he got a prior engagement with a V8 supercar yep. uh, and otherwise would have shared the title with Rob Bell. But no, JMW back. And Abdulaziz Al-Faisal, by the way, third consecutive year in this entry. Mm-hmm. Um, so he raced GT Pro, then last year GTE Am, and now again in the Am class. So great to see Abdulaziz Al-Faisal back with the team. He's very happy to be there. So I had a quick chat with him uh, at the test day. Uh, but yes, uh, also good to see. And uh, these are two guys that I know Shay will, Shay will know more about than I do. Uh, of course, I know, know of them, but I will confess to have only had the briefest of conversations with both at the prologue test. Uh, but great to see new drivers to this race. Uh, you know, we're going to have a number of rookies uh, at Le Mans this year, and there's two of them with a team that I'm sure will welcome them with uh, the warm embrace that you can only get from the likes of Jim McWhorter and Tim Sugden. Uh, who are mighty um, figures in GT uh, and endurance racing. Kubica Maziak, as I say, I always think of as Porsche Share, Porsche Super Cup. Uh, I think he did French Carrera Cup uh, as well. Um but Michael Avenatti, US driver, um, again, if you follow the American Le Mans series or IMSA, you will recognize the name. For a little bit of background on Michael, please. He's done a lot of Porsche driving in his career. He did 10 ALMS GTC races before things got a little iffy and he backed off of that. He's been doing Super Cup this year, though, which I think is an interesting choice for him. It's not where he necessarily should be at this stage in his career. It's not something that he's going for because he is more of a gentleman driver i hate to use that term but it, it really does suit him more he's, he's not a career motor no, racer is he? he's not looking for a factory ride which is where you go if you want to be in super cup you're looking to move up mm. through the ranks but driving uh porsches for a long time interesting to be in a ferrari we'll have to see how he adapts to that but koopa gramaziak who he's driving with was second in the porsche super cup last year to a man who's now in the p1 role yes very good point and I presume that these two have met each other in the Super Cup paddock if they weren't already racing before. They've raced together this year in uh, Daytona and Sebring. So Mm. they're very familiar with each other. They know each other's style. And clearly Michael likes the way that Kuba drives because he keeps saying, I want you as my teammate. I want you as Mm. my teammate. And we're better to do it than them all. Yeah. And you know that... uh, the other driver in there, Abdulaziz Al-Faisal from the Middle East, um, he is just great value. He really is smashing he's, guy, loves his motor racing. Great, he's great fun. And the other quick uh, quick notes here as well is we do like to see uh, different nationalities, don't we, racing yep. at Le Mans 24 hours. Cooper is the first Polish driver to race at Le Mans in the post-war era. No way. <laughs> Absolutely right, I believe. And, do you know what? Uh, I, I saw the Polish flag there, the red and white halves, and I, I never even thought to mention that because 
That is quite a remarkable yeah, statistic. I believe that to be true. Believe that to be true. I don't think we've had a Polish driver on the grid for the Le Mans twenty four hours uh, since the you know the, well, since the post war uh, in the in the post war period. He he finally stumbles out with, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's great to see. And there's a there's a kind of League of Nations, isn't there? Mm. You know, the British team uh, with the Saudi, <laughs> uh, Polish, and American drivers, and there'll be no shortage of coffee, I'm sure, in the garage. No, all good. Yes, all all. Good. Good stuff. Um, let's move on. I mean, pick any one of the Ferraris. We know they'll do the trip. All of those teams are immensely capable. Um, somebody that we didn't actually mention because we glossed over a little bit a couple of the AF Corsa cars. But I do want to mention Duncan Cameron and Matt Griffin. They've been, obviously, Matt's a good friend of ours. Uh, Duncan Cameron and he have got a great uh, understanding and relationship. Alex Mortimer has has been with them now for a, a, a couple of shots. And, and Alex is no rabbit either, Graham, and, oh, no. and, and, sh- and should not at all be looked at as, as any kind of weak link in, in that team. Uh, well, that's another, of course, another Le Mans rookie, and he's delighted to be there. Mm. Bumped into, into him in a restaurant uh, uh, the first evening of the first day of the prologue test, and uh, he's absolutely delighted to have got that invitation. But look... There's a man living the dream. Duncan Cameron has come up through the ranks. He served his time. He did the test day last year to get a flavour of uh, the Le Mans, the full circuit, back there again uh, this last last week uh, with the Le Mans test day. Uh, Matt Griffin has done a fabulous job of guiding Duncan's racing career. I've been massively impressed, not just with the way that Duncan's driving skills come on, but the kind of feedback he's giving to the team now. You know what? Uh, close your eyes, listen to what you're hearing, and you think you've got a pro driver right there. Mm. Uh, this is going to be a happy team, I think. Um, and I think the, the reason for the selection of Alex is because he's not a guy that makes terribly many mistakes. Yeah. And th- I think that's going to be the key for this effort. It is going to be one of those ones that needs to go round and round and round and stick to their plan. Stay out of trouble uh, you know, steer clear of, of the problem areas where the where the prototypes can, can cause a bit of a whoopsie. And you know, who would better gain that fifty five car being there or thereabouts at the end of the race? Delighted to see that effort there because that is one of those uh, efforts, John. That is the guys living the Le Mans dream, and wouldn't we all love to do that? Uh, absolutely, absolutely agree with that. Almost a fan's choice, uh, right there. So we've spoken about Ferrari in GT Arm. We've spoken about the big American front-engine cars. We've still got another front-engine mark and a very much rear-engine mark as opposed to the mid-engine mark to come. You're listening to Mobile One, Radio Le Mans, 91.2 FM and around the world on RadioLeMans.com. This is our GTE preview and we're in the AM category and there's more coming up in a moment. RadioLamont.com. Well, it's that most wonderful time of the year when it is uh, preparation to get ready to go down to France. And Richard with Travel Destinations is here with me. Richard, there are some very important do's and don'ts, more important do's that we should prepare for in uh, getting ready for this journey. And what is your biggest advice to people getting ready to make the drive down to Le Mans? Thanks, Jay. Yeah, well, there's there's 
lots of things that people need to think about before they go. Um, the most obvious things, if they're driving down, is their car. Making sure their car is safe. They've done. They've got oil. They've got tires and things. People often make the mistake that you know um, Le Mans is just across the channel somewhere, and there's not far to drive, um, and we'll be there in five minutes um, from somewhere like Calais, where a lot of the British people are coming across to. Um, it's about four and a half to five hour drive down from there, so you need to be prepared as you would do with any long trip. Um, so first of all, make sure your car's good. Uh, make sure you've got all your equipment. Don't forget passport. Um, we may just at the moment, anyway, still be part of the EU, um, <laughs> but um, we will, that remains to be seen going forward. And but you do need your passport, so um, you're not going to get out of the country, and you're not going to get back in without your passport. You should also have um, your vehicle registration documents. You should have your um, insurance documents with you. Um, and I always recommend that everybody has vehicle breakdown because mm. if you do break down while you're abroad, um, getting the car back is very expensive. Um, so. As new for this year and you, people would have seen in the press and things um, about the new checks and things that are happening at the borders um, when you're leaving. Um, if you're going on the ferry, so if you're going on P&O ferries across Dover, Calais, you're going from New Haven or you're going from Portsmouth, you don't have to worry too much. If, if you've got your passport, they are scanning all the passports. Just allow a few more minutes for check-in, um, particularly at peak periods. Um, they have to scan all the passports going through, and that obviously takes a little bit longer um, than they, they used to. Um, the main difference um, for this year is Eurotunnel. Um, so if you're traveling with Eurotunnel, um, they are collecting what they call API, Advanced Passenger Information. Um, the unique way that Eurotunnel works and their booking system and their check-in procedure means that Eurotunnel haven't in the past collected all the information for every single passenger in the vehicle. Um, so what they're asking now is that you, um, as the driver, take responsibility for the passengers in your car and provide Eurotunnel with their information, passenger information, before you leave the UK. Um, this can be done in two ways. Um, you can go online or, to be honest, the most simple way is to phone Eurotunnel with the information. The information they're collecting is your uh, full names, passport numbers, dates of birth and country of issue of passport. So it's not a huge amount of information, but it just means that they've got that information before you get down there and it means you can go through a whole lot quicker. All of that can be done before you've even left home and it will just save a little bit of time and everything on the way down. Um, once you're on the road and things, then um, obviously you're going to need your provisions for the wink. Um, so stopping at supermarkets and things on the way is, is always good for that. Um, my always my top tip there is everybody stops for beer and things, but uh, Le Mans can be either very wet or very dry. When it's very dry, you also need a lot of water. Mm -hmm. um, everybody needs water to rehydrate, and beer doesn't do that very well. Very good. So <laughs> um, I would be stopping for some water every time you buy a couple of crates of beer. Make sure you put in some water as well. So um, that's fine. But mate, other than that, it's clothing. Mm. Um, as we know, Le Mans. Um, everybody said it always rains at Le Mans, and maybe it will this year. Maybe it won't. We don't know. Um, but um, it will get cold at night. Yes, um, yes, it will. <laughs> yeah, as you know, even in your pit overalls in the pit lane there, it's chilly. So, uh, and there isn't much um, shelter at Le Mans. Mm. 
So you want to have your hats, you want to have um, your jackets, you want your warm clothing for during the evenings and into the night and the early mornings when you when you wake up. Um, there's nothing worse than that dash to the from your tent to the, the shower block in the morning um, with the f- not quite a frost on the ground. But you're you're running across because you haven't got the right amount of clothing and you're not prepared. So, um, again, put all that stuff in. Um, the ACO do say there are certain things that you shouldn't take with you. Okay, so these are official guidelines from the ACO at Le Mans. So swimming pools, we've known for a while now. Swimming pools have been banned at Le Mans. Um, there was a heat wave. Um, oh gosh, maybe seven, eight years ago. Now I'm. They all blur into one, and everybody got the paneling pools out, and 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 the water usage at the circuit was so huge that they were there was actually a shortage. So paddling pools are now banned from the campsites, um, building scaffolding and things. Um, those that have been to the Nürburgring 24 hours, which is a fantastic event, um, they, they will see the scaffolding that's built around the Nordschleife, which is excellent. Um, that is not um, encouraged at Le Mans Health and Safety. Um, I think they, somebody had an accident um, a couple of years ago falling off scaffolding. And um, so that's gone. That's banned. So no Turn 10 Sebring-style scaffolding. Oh, here. yeah. The guys at Turn 10 are going to... Yeah, that can't be replicated at Le Mans. Um, the silliness, absolutely. That's actively encouraged. <laughs> but the the building of the scaffolding and things, no, that's that that's not, not quite um, uh, done at Le Mans. So that's fine. Um, the little pit scooters that you used to see around the circuit they are now banned so um, again um, it only takes one or two people to ruin it for everybody so there's been a few accidents um, a few problems in the campsites with the little scooters push bikes again absolutely encouraged um, and no problem there pedal bikes all fine um, but the the little mini scooters um, that people traditionally have used around the campsites um, they're now stopped um, the usual things like um, axes and um pruning shears anything any blades and things particularly security at the circuit you're going to see this year probably more so than ever since the the charlie hebdo incident um uh some months ago now the whole of france is security conscious Mm. um and you're going to notice those that have been year on year will see some slight alterations with that and security and things will be um increased on previous years so yeah sharp objects um, knives, blades, um, you might be using them to chop wood for your campfire or whatever it might be, but please don't you leave them behind. Don't, don't take them to the circuit. Um, and the last thing is gas canisters. Um, this is always a difficult subject. Um, for those that are going down in motorhomes and they have secure gas canisters in the motorhomes, that's fine. Small gas, um, color gas, gam- camping gas for, the, um, for your gas stove, that is fine. Um, the larger um, gas cylinders um, that you're gonna that you might have down for your gas barbecue and things. Um, unfortunately, too many people have th- um, got it into their heads that they make great um, rockets Ooh. and have put them on fires and things at the end of um, at the end of the race um, or before. And really, they don't. They make big explosions and cause major problems. Um, so those are now banned. Again, it only takes a few people to ruin it for everybody. So um, generally speaking, it's common sense. Um, 
you know, it's not a problem. Uh, you can have barbecues, you can enjoy yourselves, plenty of beer and everything else is actively encouraged. It's those dangerous things that people go a little bit beyond um, that they're stopping. So um, those things bear in mind before you go, leave the, leave the dangerous things behind, go have fun and it will be a fantastic weekend. Well, those are things that you shouldn't bring other than bringing a radio, which you very much should bring I to the track. I should have mentioned that, shouldn't I? Yeah, absolutely. An FM radio. An FM radio. If you forget to take your FM radio, there are, will be some sellers around the village area selling radio, Le Mans radios. Um, otherwise, yeah, definitely bring an FM radio to stay in touch with Radio Le Mans. Um, you'll be able to pick that up all around the circuit. Um, so, uh, yeah, absolutely. You should have one of those with you at all times. It's the law. <laughs> I, I think it is. Um, you mentioned push bikes. You encourage bringing those, but keep them locked up for security reasons. Yeah, you know, the vast majority of people at Le Mans are um, very respectful of everybody else's property. You're all race fans. You're all going down there. But there is over 250,000 people in one place. Whenever you have a gathering of that, whether it be um, a pop concert somewhere, a football match somewhere, um, any any event like that, um, there's always going to be people um, hanging around that will take advantage. And yes, security is is very important. And we often say to people, if you if you if it's your prized possession, don't take it to Le Mans, don't even take the risk. But everybody takes cars down there. Everybody takes bikes. Bikes, yes, make sure they're locked up. Make sure you have a secure chain. Make sure that you don't leave them anywhere. Don't have your wallet in your back pocket. Mm -hmm. You know, particularly when you're going through crowded areas, places like... um, the the Dunlop Bridge going over the Dunlop Bridge there is a bottleneck and everybody bangs in together um, things can go missing quite easily in those circumstances you know if you've got in a rucksack on your back take just in those circumstances take the rucksack off and hold it in front of you make sure it's in your eyesight um, it's rare unfortunately you know travel destinations looks after thousands of people at Le Mans every year and it, we might hear one or two incidents every year of somebody's passport's gone missing somebody's wallet's gone missing um, yes, we have heard of circumstances of someone's push bike has gone missing or a camping chair has gone missing while they were away. Just if you're leaving your tent, make sure it's all zipped up. Make sure everything is is inside. If it's valuable, lock it in your car. Make sure it's out of sight. Um, and when you're out and about on circuit, just take the normal precautions you would do if you were walking around London, if you're walking around Paris, if you're walking around New York, mm-hmm. you wouldn't advertise the fact that you've got your wallet in your back pocket. Yeah. Um, don't do it at Le Mans. It's exactly the same. Unfortunately, there will always be people who take advantage. Um, so common sense, and I know it's difficult when you've had a few drinks and you're having a good time and you tend to relax and you 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 make you make those errors and that's when something happens. So I would always recommend that you know you don't take anything valuable with you um enjoy yourselves pack everything away um and lastly um when you're when you're leaving the campsite um take your rubbish and stuff with you Mm. don't encourage somebody else onto the campsite to go through any rubbish and see whether you've left anything pack it up dispose of it properly put it in the bins or take it back with you And both for when you're going to Le Mans and when you're leaving, speeding, we've been warned about this year, will be a big issue. Yeah, we understand this year that the gendarmes um, throughout France um, are cracking down on speeding. Um, it's at the moment it's one of their um, top priorities um, and they will know everybody's going down to Le Mans they'll know there's sports cars and other cars around and they will be out in force um, it is on the spot fines so um, it can be very expensive we've heard stories of recent times of 
um, fines of up to 1500 euros um, and if you can't pay or you don't have the cash on you they will take you to a cash point until you can remove that money Jeez. if you cannot pay and again we have heard stories of this before um, if you have have not got the money they will confiscate your car keys wow. nobody wants that it ruins the weekend I know some people see speeding fines as a badge of honor how much did you pay oh yeah yeah I was done for this I was done for that um, you can spend that money on an awful lot of other things um, that will make you happy. Um, so, yeah, this year particularly, you know, we've mentioned the security issues and things. Um, the police are going to be out in force. Um, they are. They know you're coming. They know what's happening. So my top my top suggestion is, yeah, keep to the speed limits. Don't give them an opportunity to stop you because once they stop you, they'll go through everything. So, yeah, um, speeding in particular this year, yeah, be careful. And then security coming back through the border, that's something that we have to watch out for, unfortunately. Yes, um, those particularly those who are travelling back um, via Calais, um, particularly if you're in a van or you've got a trailer, something with a soft top. Um, again, advice would be, um, you know, we don't want to make too big a thing of it, and it's, it's, it's an unfortunate circumstance, but um, maybe lock your doors, particularly if you're stopping at petrol stations before Calais on the way back, you're just topping up because the euro is quite weak against the pound at the moment. So, you know, everything appears to be a whole lot cheaper. So actively no problem in doing that. But just keep your wits about you. Make sure that, you know, particularly in vans, um, say trailers, things where people can gain access when you're not looking, um, if you're stopping any time, um, you know, you stop at the supermarket or maybe there are queues going into the, the ferry terminal or the Eurotunnel terminal, just keep your wits about you. Lock, lock your car wherever you can and just make sure that you, you're not bringing back anything that you didn't expect to. RadioLamont.com It's Mobile One, Radio Lamont on 91.2 FM and around the world at RadioLamont.com. I'm John Hindorf and we're previewing the Lamont GTE category. These are the cars that we'd all love to own. One of each, please. We've already talked about Ferrari, Viper and Corvette. And I have driven one of each of those, so I'm all batting a thousand at the moment. Still to come, a very fam- two very famous Le Mans marks. And we'll start with the one with the engine in the front. There are two Aston Martins to talk about in the field of the AM categories. Remember, that means at least one of your drivers has got to be a silver or bronze driver, as listed by the FIA and the Automobile Club de la West, uh, the guardians of the sporting regulations of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Both of these are entered by Aston Martin Racing. They are 96 and 98, and they are both full-season entries in the FIA World Endurance Championship. Joining me to guide me and you through the entry list, Shea Adam, one of our Nismo Pit Lane reporters for Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM, and the editor of DailySportsCar.com, Graham Goodwin. Graham, nothing better than the sound of a V8 in the morning, and Aston adds its rumble to the Chevrolet Corvette, and in the shape of Roald Gotha, Stuart Hall, and Francesco Castellacci in the 96, and Paul Dallalana, Pedro Lamy, and Matthias Lauda in the 98, we are looking at 
Well, certainly five drivers who we are very, very well versed with. The, the one I would say perhaps people might not know, even if they follow the FIA WEC, is Francesco Castellacci. Well, we'll come to Francesco in a moment, but uh, here's, here's uh, just a little snippet for you. I think that 96 Aston Martin contains a driver who will make history at Le Mans this year. Ooh. And he'll make history because he'll be driving two different versions of the same car in two different races on the same day. And that is Roel Goethe. Yes. Because Roel Goethe will be starting the Aston Martin Festival race in the morning um, aboard his uh, Aston Martin Vantage GT2, the older car he raced in 2012 uh, in the uh, World Endurance Championship. And later in the day, uh, we'll be seeing him on the grid for the Le Mans 24 Hours in his brand new, his uh, 2014 spec, 2015 spec uh, GTE Aston Martin Vantage. He is the archetypal um, uh, enthusiast of all things endurance racing and in particular with golf colours on. Mm-hmm. You might think you're a fan. You might think putting a stick on the side of your car. <laughs> I think you're going to find if it was top. No, no, no. Hang on, Graham. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> I've got all of these 143rd and 118th yeah. skill. Yeah. Yeah, oh, hang on a second. Roald Gorth has got the real cars. He's got the real cars and the truck that they came in. Yes, that's um, right. <laughs> that's so right. He has the truck as well, doesn't he? In terms he? of if there was a top Trumps pack for golf fans, uh, the Trump card is going to be Roald Gerter. Uh, you know, Roald would, 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 I think, agree with me. He is not the quickest man in this field but he's certainly going to be the happiest. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, the interesting thing is he's been allowed to do this. Stuart Hall is going to drive the beautiful uh, Aston Martin Lola V12, of course, in that same festival race on Saturday morning. And that's normally been frowned upon in the past by the ACO, allowing people to drive in the other races before going into the 24 hours. It, it's a bit of sneaky practice you know, kind do of Do you know things. why, though? Do you know why, though? Because they love them, too. I know, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but both the Aston Martin Vantage and, indeed, the uh, the P1 car, the LMP1 car, are both uh, part of that Rothko collection, the golf collection, and it will be fabulous to see them on race morning. Tell but, me a little bit about Francesco Castellacci. Well, Francesco Castellacci comes to us, uh, for the most part, um, from GT3 racing. In fact, he was the 2011 FI GT3 European champion, together with Federico Leo, who, from memory, raced last year here with Ram Racing, mm-hmm. I think I'm right in saying, in their pro car. But uh, he drove a Ferrari then. He's um, been picked up by the Aston Martin Racing team as a silver driver because you have to have two non-pro-ranked drivers in GTM, of course. And uh, he's pretty quick. Uh, he's a nice guy. He's pretty quick. And I think we've also got, from memory, Stuart Hall and Francesco sharing a Ferrari in the European Le Mans series. Correct. As well. So uh, these two guys are, uh, if you like, bringing each other on in terms of their GT racing experience and, a, you know, the wheel of a range of different machinery this year. But uh, I think that's going to be a happy ship. It is going to be about how much time um, Roel Goethe gets at the wheel of the car. My guess is a limited amount. Um, and he will lose time to some of those other uh, cars whilst he's at the wheel of that car, uh, which is going to mean that the other two cars are going to have to push harder. Don't expect uh, to see him much in the nighttime hours either, I would I say. I don't think so. And I think that he's not by any means going to be the only one. We'll come to another no. one. It's certainly in that uh, in that ballpark a little later when talking about the Porsches. But but this is going to be a happy crew. It will not necessarily, through the race, be always at the absolute sharp end. But with Stuart at the wheel, who 
let's not forget, by the way, himself has won the WEC Championship in GTM with Jimmy Campbell-Walter some years ago when Roald ran a part season and caused a rule change as a result mm. of that. Um, but, uh, you know, Stuart Hall, still very quick, uh, a man who, I think I'm right in saying, did he not finish fourth here? Yes, he did. He did, fourth overall here. Yeah. So Stuart um, has... A somewhat checkered past, of course, at... Well, and rather scandalously, was one of uh, two people yep. in recent times who was thrown out the race for, for contact, uh, neither of which, I have to say, I thought was, uh, was warranted. But we'll gloss over that. The other right. entry, Paul Dallalana, Pedro Lamy and Matthias Lauda. Paul Dallalana, Shea, uh, with the Canadian flag and a proud Canadian at that, is having the time of his life this year. Both of these Astons, as I said, full-season FIA, WEC entries. It's been pulls and wins for the 98 car in the two races to this point. And let's not forget, this is a double point scoring race for the WEC. So whatever happens with the 96 car and the 98 car, they are definitely uh, carrying forward their championship uh, aspirations and this guy's the championship leader coming in Paul Dallalana's had to do qualifying this year which he's never had to do and he's been on Paul twice Pedro Lamy driving the series of his life last couple of seasons surely he's best driving ever Matthias Lauda whose position in the team possibly was under threat beforehand has fought back and has delivered massively since the start of the European season Paul Dallalana though just, I mean, again, like Roald Gorter, the archetypal non-pro driver. Oh, he's great, though. You see him in the paddock, and he's got a big smile on his face, and then he goes out and brings a trophy home at the end of the day. He can back up his talk. One of two Canadians in the field this year, the other Chris coming up in the P2 category. But uh, Paul Delalana started racing when? Oh, 2008. He's still fairly new at this. But it didn't take him long to get good. It was 2011 that he won his first championship. Now he wants Le Mans. He wants Le Mans on his CV. He puts me a little bit, guys, in mind of a couple of people who we know and love. Seth Nyman, a flying, a flying lizard, no longer has the time to devote in his, after his you know, successful business career to doing driving. Although I think he, a GT3 drive in the future might be something to watch out for there. And... A certain Porsche driving New Yorker who won the race and got ta- has got the tattoo to prove it. You know who I'm talking about? No, I don't. Yeah. Graham does. Leo Hendry. Leo yeah. Hendry. Oh, of course. Yeah, of I course. Think, but I think you know, you're right about Paul Delalana. What, what I think has been great about this year, last year in the WEC, it was a freight train victory in the championship for the Dane train. Um, and Paul Delalana and co, uh, having had an almost spotless season, just couldn't quite match the ultimate results. But actually, I think he's come back punching even harder. Great. You know, I, I, he's been faultless this year. Two wins to their credit so far uh, in the World Championship. If they go away from here with a win, it's going to be difficult to see anybody clawing that back. And, you know, uh, Pedro Lamy, uh, yeah, well, you would have said, Hero. I think, a couple of years ago, that perhaps Pedro had seen the best of his career. Yeah. He's going to be a world champion this year. Well, and, and do you know what? The only thing I would say about this, and I hear what Shea's saying about they want Le Mans, they want Le Mans, they want Le Mans, and clearly Le Mans is the big prize. Uh, and with due respect okay. to Gerard Navarre and the, the FIA World Endurance Championship, and uh, uh, Le Mans is the big prize. I just wonder, however, if they're sitting in a podium position for Le Mans, they might not think... 
this is not the worst place to be because not everybody in that class, there are half the field in that class who aren't w, uh, WEC runners. So if you've got a couple of cars ahead of you who aren't WEC runners, you might think, oh, do we really want to push hard, maybe break the car and get no points for the WEC? No, or are no, we sorry. happy? No? Utterly, dis- utterly disagree. I think, think in that not? situation, I think in that situation, they bring it in, strap a couple of turbo turbos on it, and go for it. <laughs> these guys, are, these guys, like are the super, blue touch paper, super, super okay. motivated. I'm just throwing think, that you know, in. The archetypal Portuguese um, Pedro Lamy, and I think you know you're going to see. I think you're going to see fireworks with these guys because right. mm-hmm. I think they are properly hungry. And I w- well, properly okay, I, I'll bow to both of you. She was nodding sagely at that point, and also, by the way. Matthias Lauda. Yes, uh, yeah. that's Nicky's boy. Yes, yeah. he's been under pressure. He has come back punching above his weight. He's loving it. He's getting better and better. He's admitted to anybody that wants to hear it, and those of us have been in the uh, the FIA press conferences, that he's still getting used to this car, and he has really got down to work. This guy is a star of the future. He's been left to plough his own furrow by his father and uh, I cannot help but like the young man and every time I meet him, I like him more and unfortunately, as we always say at this time of year, Shea and Graham, I can make a case for more than half the field winning their classes here because of the, the how much I like the guys who were involved in it. So this is another car that falls right into that category. Let's move on quickly then to the Porsches. We've still got the Pro cars to come in this category. Um, Porsche, oh, for so many years we've been talking about you know, oh, another AF Ferrari. But for so many years, the GT category was almost looking like a Porsche Cup race. And it was only the intervention of people like Pianos and Ferrari and one or two others, Aston Martin, of course, uh, in the past, that, that changed all that in the relatively recent past. But this year, uh, Porsche in arm, really interesting mix. Uh, let's talk about the two AAI team cars. These are the... Taiwan entered machines, 67 and 68. Now, the first thing to say, and we've got to get this right, because I know I'm going to get this wrong all the way through <laughs> Race Week on Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM. Um, there are two different cars here. One is a 991 and one is a 997. Which Correct. way around is it, Graham? Tell me now. Uh, right. Well, it's, a, it's an easy one to remember, uh, because the 99. Seven spec car, the 911 GT3. Please RSR. tell me it's the 67. Mm-hmm. It's the 67. Oh, so 67 is 997. 68. And I'll tell you a little bit about the background to this car, John, because you and I got something wrong at the start of this season, and this really? car plays a part in that. Okay. Is the current spec 911 RSR. So we've got to remember two things about these these entries: the 67 and 68. They get these entries, by the way, by dint of finishing first and second in the GT class of last year's Asian Le Mans series. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are entered by Team AAI. They are prepared by Rudy Pender's Pro Speed uh, competition team from Belgium. who have a fine record at the Le Mans 24 Hours and in uh, the Le Mans series. Both of them uh, have drivers in them uh, with the surname Chen. So the easy way to remember them is it's John San Chen in the 67 car. Uh, John San Chen prefers to be known by the moniker San. Right. And San in, in seven. Uh, San in seven, San seven nine nine seven. Yeah, San seven nine seven. Sixty eight, which is the nine eleven RSR, the nine nine one uh, car. Yeah. Han Chen Chen is Morris. Well, that's easy. A Morris eight. So it's a Morris. It's a it's a Han Sen seven. Yeah. Right. San seven and Morris eight. 
Sun 7, Morris 8. There you go. They did so that on go. purpose for you, John. I really hope they did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, um, the, 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 the non, uh, the non uh, Taiwan drivers in there are names to conjure with. Oh, yeah. Uh, Gilles Vanillet and Mike Parisi, we've seen plenty of in sports car racing in the 68 in the past. That is the, uh, the newer of the two cars. Indeed. So, uh, Gilles Vanillet, by the way, comes to the race uh, on the back of having tested um, at the test day, then potted off to uh, to the British GT Championship race at Silverstone and won it in a McLaren. In a McLaren, yeah. Indeed. Uh, Mike Parisi, uh, I think, as quick Just as... Just you can. Yeah, absolutely, as most on this grid. But uh, certainly uh, the 67 car, Xavier Masson, um, Xavier seems to have been around for a long time now. He's 103. No, he's not. He's, he's, he's 34. He's 30, is he only 30? Yes. He is. Wow. And this is going to be his fourth shot in this race, twice in a Luc Alfond Corvette. Uh, he's another man, by the way, that raced once for uh, JMW mm. uh, in 2011 in, the, uh, in their Ferrari uh, 458 when the, the car was still in the GTE Pro class. Uh, but I think it's fair to say for, um, for listeners of, to Radio Le Mans and to Midweek Motorsport in particular, everybody delighted that Alex Capardier gets his chance at a start at the Le Mans 24 Hours. And the, re- and, the reason yeah. behind that, Graham, and, we, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about this on 91.2 FM during the week at Le Mans, but a part of history uh, of Alex is Alex, not that long ago, was in the campsite, like all of us, yeah. watching the race. Yeah, it absolutely was, and uh, it's it told his story. Told his story to us, Delhi, our Delhi Sports Crew. He's going to be blogging through the um, the week for us and beyond. And uh, yeah, he went there to support a mate uh, in the Le Mans Twenty Four Hours. Um, managed to find his way into the paddock by nefarious means, <laughs> and uh, the, bitten bitten hard by the bug. Uh, Alex, it should be said, is a professional racing driver. He has other business interests, but uh, he is paid by. Uh, gentleman drivers uh, to pair up in radical racing. He's raced in LMP2 in the LMS, which is where I first got to know him. When a couple of uh, people I thoroughly respect, including Sam Smith, said, "Keep an eye on this guy." Mm. Uh, he was given his chance at the test day last year by Greg Murphy, the Murphy Prototypes team, and he is a very hardworking individual, uh, much think- beloved of tyre companies because his consistency and feedback when doing tyre testing. Is and I am quoting other people who know is second to none. Brilliant, and I'm, I'm delighted to hear that. And, and and you know what? The other thing that matters to me: a thoroughly nice guy. And uh, you know, I, I love to see guys working as hard as a lot of these pro uh, pro drivers have to do to actually get these chances. No, but, uh, no names, no pack drill. But Alex could have been in at least two other, possibly three other cars, actually, yeah. on the Le Mans grid. It didn't happen for him. He's taking yeah. this, this is his first time at Le Mans. He's taking this drive absolutely to get the experience because what he doesn't want people to do is to come back in the past and say, but you've never done the race Correct. before. And, and, and I think is- this is a very smart move by Alex. It's uh, He's a genuine guy who many people would... Well, read his story on dailysportscard.com is is all I'll say. If I'm honest, is the 67 going to be at the sharp end of the field? Probably not. I think it had four offs during the uh, during the test uh, at uh, the test Sunday. Uh, none, by the way, with Alex at the wheel. Uh, but uh, and by the way, John, I'll explain why because something you said a little earlier to do with GT3 and GT E cars is pertinent here. Mm. That's because San Chen. 
uh, has driven GT3 cars. He's not done much in GT cars, so therefore, in the changeable conditions we had, he's not done much mileage with a GTE car without ABS. And that's what was happening. He was losing the back of the car oh. in wet conditions at much the same place most times. So he's learned his lessons where he needed to, uh, rather than doing it in race week. Which so is exactly what the test is for. And by correct. the way, I am not a racing driver. I am a driver who sometimes is fortunate enough to drive race cars. I've driven a GT3 car with ABS. I have driven a GT4 car, GT4, not a GTE car, without ABS. And the difference is like playing tennis with a snooker cue, as, a, as opposed to a tennis racket. There are different animals entirely and the kind of feel that you need for a car without ABS, particularly anything that has high downforce and a car that has particularly the very sophisticated ABS systems that GT3 cars have now, is it is like uh, apples and telegraph poles. It really is that difference. Um, so we'll keep an eye on those because there's some interest in them. The Porsche that undoubtedly will have the most press interest uh, of the whole weekend, even more than their LMP1 cars, is the 77 Proton racing car for the name that comes before the uh, uh, the hyphen in that, which is Dempsey. And that is Patrick Dempsey, uh, up until, um, by the way, spoiler alert, up until recently, uh, who played um, <laughs> a part in Grey's Anatomy, Patrick Long and Marco Seyfried. Now, Patrick Dempsey, to us, apart from being a very good actor in Grey's Anatomy has always been to us a racing driver and he's a racing driver of some repute now Shea um, race car rock stars we like to refer to him from a, a whole different um, internal story uh, from us guys here at, uh, at Sabring this year but Patrick wants to be judged on his driving and that's what we've done and he has but he led this race on pace he led Le Mans 24 hours till he was taken out by an LMP2 car not his fault he's now and for this weekend despite what all the other press think this guy is a racing driver he is. And if you think that it's an actor who's trying to race cars, you're dead wrong. This guy has the mentality. He has the passion. And guess what? He's got the skills. He's not just going through the motions. Patrick got a third at Daytona this year, which was his warm-up 24-hour race. That's not an easy thing to do. He was in a class with almost 20 cars in it and managed to come third. And I'll tell you what, he could have done better than that, but circumstances didn't allow he was on track for a win. Mm. He's in the WEC this year, full season. Mm. And talking to him during the test, what a different attitude it is. Coming in, not being so frantic, so worried about getting the car ready. They've already had two efficient tests. And the other thing is, he's not now having to worry about getting back to the west coast of the States to tape another three or four shows, which is what he was having to do, and not being able to do the tests, not being able to think about his race car fitness, getting his head straight into it. He always said that he wanted to do the acting to give him the opportunity to to pay for his racing driving, Graham. That's you know clearly happened, and he's and, he, and he's he's clearly been a very successful in his his first chosen career. But people shouldn't write him off no. just because he has had you know just because he's got an IMDb entry that's several pages long. Uh, no, and it's, it's the ultimate comeback. He's the one driver ever ever in Le Mans history to come back after being killed. 
And you know that's, uh, that's spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. God, oh, really? people might still have it on the on the DVR oh, to watch. Oh come on! Come it's on. all going <laughs> to be a dream. You know absolutely. that. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing to say she about didn't Patrick turn the here. machine off. She didn't turn it off. <laughs> spoiler alert. Honestly, that's that's it. That's that's the secret. <laughs> the, the 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 other thing to say about Patrick is. He's had a couple of poor results in the WEC this season, but they're tracks he's not raced at before. Mm. Uh, this is a track he's raced at before. He and he's good here. He is good here. And he's only going to get a couple of these this year in the WEC. I think he's raced at Cota. He's raced at Le Mans. But I don't think he's raced at any of the other circuits we'll see uh, this year. Correct. And I think this is his chance of getting into the mix and he'll relish that. Yeah, worth saying as well, he's there with, you know, long-time driving partner, Porsche factory driver Patrick Long, who's been a fantastic foil uh, to Patrick Dempsey. Well, and, and also, isn't, isn't this interesting that Patrick has decided to keep this relationship? Patrick could be driving a works Porsche. Yes. Right? He could be driving a works Porsche. He could probably have been driving a works prototype Porsche had he not pushed himself in a different way with the Porsche Works team in the States, with Core, which was he, he was very much sheer instrumental in setting up. But he's decided to stay with this programme. I think that's really interesting. It's the key word, decided. He it's his very, choice. He very kindly said to the bosses that be, I would like to continue with this, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because he would have been a perfect P1 driver, having had experience in Penske's P2s. He knew... The downforce settings, the arrow, he, he knows all that. He's been there. But he decided he wanted to try something a little different. And staying with Patrick Dempsey worked for him initially. Mm-hmm. Coming to Lamar, what was that, three years ago now with, mm. with the Dempsey team? He likes it. Mm. It's a different challenge for him. And being in the AM class is a whole nother monster in itself. There is the pressure. But well, he's the team leader, isn't he? He is the team leader. He's expected to carry the, the mass of the burden, but he doesn't have that same factory pressure. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Mark was Seyfried Grimm, the third driver, the German driver in that car. So two Americans and a German uh, in that car. It is a German entry, the Dempsey Proton racing car. I mean, don't write off Marco either. Oh, no. Um, he, in, he had a... A pretty horrible Nürburgring 24, didn't he? Um, and he, his last couple of races perhaps haven't been up to his usual standard. But the reason I say that is because that's so unusual. Again, he's a very, very safe pair of hands normally. He is. And I've got a funny feeling. I think he may be a Le Mans rookie this year. He I is. Think he's done an awful lot of 24-hour racing. The Nürburgring at Spa and had success in both places. But, I, yeah, but thanks, Jay, for the confirmation. He is indeed a Le Mans rookie and uh, was getting plenty of time in the car at the test day. Uh, super bloke, very quick, job done. That's all you need to know. Um, you know, he, he will be, um, I'm sure, a very valuable part of that squad. Uh, the final of the Porsches that we haven't mentioned is the 88 car, and this is the other Proton car. This is the Abu Dhabi Proton racing car with Christian Reid, uh, Caladel Cabezi, and Klaus Backler. So again, a coat of many colours as far as the uh, the flags are concerned there. Well, Christian Reid should need no interrupt, uh, in, interruption or introduction uh, to uh, our listeners here. He has huge amounts of experience and is a long-time pilot with Proton as well. Good relationship there. Uh, Khaled El Kabezi, another Middle Eastern driver, Graham, who is one of a now-growing number of drivers from that part of the world who are establishing themselves in international series. Uh, yeah, and isn't it great to see? I mean, we've had an awful lot of 
uh, cynicism about why we go racing the golf world because action is a growing market there for this. And Khaled, another man that seldom seen without a smile on his face at a racetrack. Klaus Backler, coming man, certainly Porsche specialist, and we've seen him do remarkable things in that Porsche 911 RSR. Um, before I leave this one, John, because mm-hmm. I think this is a uh, squad that is going to be there and thereabouts as well, <laughs> I should correct something that both you and I started the season believing something to be true when it wasn't uh, because there are three Proton Porsches on this grid. Ah. Um, the 77 and the 88 we just talked about. The other Proton car is actually the 68 car, the Team AAI car, which I'm not sure whether or not that's been purchased or leased to Team AAI, but that car, John, is the full-season ELMS car that we thought was the same car. It's not. It's a third car, a second car for the 88 squad. Uh, because so when they raced at, uh, at Silverstone, Silverstone that was, was two, two separate cars? Two separate cars. Uh, the perils of actually not being able to go and look at a, a windscreen because there's two pit lanes. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but that car that we saw uh, run the first two races in the European Le Mans series is the same car that will race as the 68 car uh, for Team AAI uh, this coming weekend. All right, uh, before we move on to the pro category, we'll take a short break. Before we do that, I need to ask you guys here, who do you think are going to win the AM class? And if I start off with Graham, it'll probably give you time to think, Shay, because Graham, if you've ever listened to these previews uh, in the past here on Mobile One Radio and One 91.2 FM, you'll know that he'll pick half the field. Uh, I'm not going to do that this time. Really? I'm not going to do that. It is slightly unfortunate, and this is the point at which anybody involved in this race really needs to switch off now, because <laughs> famous, famously, my predictions are the kiss of death. In terms of, it's, <laughs> it's, it's awful. But I think there's one standout um, here, and only one. And there are plenty of cars that I think are going to run with the leading pack, but across the three-driver uh squad i think the one that shines out for me is the world championship leading 98 car okay uh, i think the aston martin racing 98 with paul Dallana, pedro lamy and matthias lauda looks very very strong indeed yes the track will play to the strengths of others and we've mentioned some of those the Labrick uh, corvette the, the dodge viper certainly well suited to the wide open spaces of le mans uh, a couple of the Ferraris are standouts too. And indeed, I think the Dempsey Proton Porsche mm. looks very good. But for me, I think it's Aston Martin's year. Good choice, Graham, on the 98, but I am going to go with the 77. Oh. I think they have been building momentum uh-huh. for too long and that it needs to culminate at some point. And why not this year? It does look awesome. It does. Say. Uh, awesome. It does. Awesome. Awesome. The, uh, for me, not that I normally have a vote on this, uh, a shout out for Duncan Cameron, Matt Griffin and Alex Mortimer. If they get a clean run, uh, the same as anybody. I mean, literally half, half, everybody on that list could be a podium and probably half of them could win the race. And that's not the first time you're going to hear us say this at least. Um, good luck to Matt Griffin um, and, and Duncan. I, I do think they've got a strong podium opportunity possibly more I just have a little hankering that one of the either the Viper or the the Corvette might do something this year and I'd kind of like to say Jacques Leconte come back because they've got such a a good uh, history with Labra competition there but really I'm sorry it's just uh, throw a dart throw a dart at it Um, if I was putting money on it I wouldn't not from the stands, ladies and gentlemen, not from the stands. <laughs> You're listening to a Radio Le Mans special, Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM for 2015. We're previewing the GT category, the GTE category, and we'll come back next 
with the pro cars. This is where the factory entries are. And this one is even tighter than what we've just been talking about. RadioLeMond.com They say that one of the constants in life is change, and change has come to Le Mans in a big way this year. Not only have we gotten a fourth P1 manufacturer in the shape of Nissan, but the one that we got last year, Porsche, has made a lot of changes to the circuit. And Richard from Travel Destinations, you know very well uh, what sort of changes have been established. Mm. What can fans expect to see when they get to the circuit? A lot this year. A lot has changed this year. Every year we, we do these pieces and we say, oh, something's changed. And there'll be little things that we see every time we go down, new fencing here, um, new advertising hoardings there. And, and that's to be expected. This year, the there are some big changes and some very noticeable changes. Probably the biggest changes since they built the, the football stadium, the MM Arena um, inside the circuit. So... The big thing that everybody is going to spot, because um, you really can't miss it, is the, the new Porsche Experience Center. Um, now, the, um, the Porsche Experience Center is not fully operational, as we understand it. Um, I've just made it sound like the Death Star. Um, but, These are not the droids you're looking <laughs> <No>. for. <laughs> so this is, this is big. This is, on, um, this is by the Ford chicane. So just before the start finish straight, um, it's a, the, the large box building. Um, people who will have been to other circuits, um, Silverstone, for example, will be um, aware of the Porsche Experience Center there, but it's tucked away over one side. This is a, a big building at the beginning of the start-finish straight, and it kind of changes the, the skyline of Le Mans. Mm. It changes the kind of a bit of the feel of the circuit there, and it's had some kind of major knock-on changes around. So... Um, the first off things that people will have noticed this year when they've been buying their tickets and things has been the changes at the Maison Blanche campsite. Maison Blanche has always been in that area um, and it still exists. Um, it runs from about the, the Ford Chicane um, down towards Porsche Kearns. Um, last year it had in excess of 900 camping places there so it was not an insignificant campsite. This year it's been cut by a third. Um, it's a bit of an unknown exactly how Porsche are going to use the centre this year and going forward. And we understand there's more plans um, going forward for skid pans and other things to be to be uh, put in the, uh, the Maison Blanche area. So an initial um, kind of change has been, as well as the building of the campsite, which is um, at the north end of Maison Blanche, um, it has had a knock-on effect because I believe they'll be using car parking and other mm. things around the centre. They will be using it for viewing and bringing in, in VIPs. So the camping area on Maison Blanche has been much restricted this year. Um, the future of Maison Blanche is uncertain, I would say at this point. Nobody really knows what's going to happen going forward and how Porsche are going to develop their building and things. But this year, certainly, um, it'll have those that are camping in there, those that are lucky enough to have got space in there this year, um, will have a it will have a different atmosphere. I mm. think um, you know with with a hot, lot less people in there, um, it's uh, it's still a good location, but I think it'll have a different feel. Um, so there, that's had a, a knock on effect as well in that there is a new campsite this year. Um, this one's in the centre of the circuit, not far from the tram stop, and not far f uh, just across the road, really across the Shamano booth from um, the Who campsite. Hmm. Um, this new campsite is called Epinet. Um, this year 
it has taken on mostly um, ACO members and um, some of the um, fallout from the Maison Blanche um, campsite being cut in a third. That new campsite this year, um, we're told, will have a thousand pitches. Wow. So a big campsite, and they're looking to expand it further for future years, um, but they have to um, cut down some trees and things to, to, to expand the campsite, so that won't be available for this year. But So Epinet is a new campsite for this year, a 1,000 pitches um, in the centre of the circuit. I think it's a pretty good location. Um, it's not Maison Blanche, it's not Trackside, mm. uh, which is one of the, the, the kind of the ideals of Maison Blanche. But it's within walking distance of everything, and I think we'll see a lot more people picking up um, Epinet camping passes in, in future years. Um, the other thing um, that's changed because of this, this building, um, and it's one of the kind of the icons of Le Mans, is the big Ferris wheel. Yeah. Um, now, that would have been right where this Porsche building is now. Um, so that is all moving. Um, there is a new complex um, being an entertainment area, if you like, that is being um, arranged at the go-karting complex. So um, it's in between the Alain Prost circuit, which will still be running. Um, so you can still do your go-karting and stuff <laughs> during the race. Um, if you want to do that, that's there. Um, but next door to that and in between that and the, the, the new go-karting track there, we'll have all the kind of um, the fun fair items mm-hmm. that, have, that people have been aware of before. Um, there'll also be um, simulators. There'll be... Um, uh, all sorts of other entertainment things going on there, and on the Friday night in the this what they're calling the karting complex, which isn't easy to say, um, there will be some DJs and things Friday night. So there'll be a bit of a a, um, a concert going on Friday mm-hmm. night. So they're looking to make that um, a second village, if you like. The village will remain exactly the same as it has been in previous years. So that'll be your your shops and where to buy your team merchandise and your memorabilia and all that sort of thing. That will all still be in the village area. But there'll now be the the karting complex takes on a new kind of an entertainment area, if you like. Um, so everybody's actively encouraged to go visit there. It's within walking distance of all the campsites. Um, and we're kind of seeing a bit of a migration of things further south as land becomes harder to come by in, uh, to the north end of the circuit. Things are moving down into the kind of the Beausajour area, the karting area, um, Techno Park. All these areas are now being developed. So we'll see more of a migration there. But yeah, the iconic wheel, and I think uh, that will upset some people that um, it's not going to be in the traditional area. Um, unfortunately, yeah, change is happening um, a lot around the circuit. Um, and there's been a ripple effect out from the developments near near the Ford Chicane. Um, but um, new car plant, new camping site, new entertainment complex, um, and big new Porsche Experience Center now will will be how Le Mans looks for the next few years, I would suggest. Well, I'll be sad not to watch the Ferris wheel in the middle of the night and see the colors going around through all the exhaustion. Yeah, you'll 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 miss that there. I I, I, I dare say the Porsche complex will be lit up. Yeah. So I think you'll I think you'll be hard not hard not to spot that. So uh, um, it's gonna nobody likes change, I guess, and everybody gets used to what things are like. Um, and I understand that. And the ACO are trying to make everything work best for everybody. Mm-hmm. So they're accepting in Porsche, and obviously Porsche is a, a year round business there. Mm-hmm. That experience center will be used um, throughout the year to give people the chance to drive their their cars on um on various parts of the circuit there's the the circuit within maison blanche which is a um, traditionally been used for motorbikes and things so that'll be now used for by porsche 
the the location of the site means that you can also they can also use um, part of the Le Mans circuit coming back through the Bugatti circuit. Um, so that'll be now to, possible to do. There is a new development down towards the Porsche curves in what we know as Karting Sud, which is a four by four off road kind of complex. So there's different things going on, and Porsche are going to be using that throughout the year. So it makes Le Mans more than a one or two um, event um, circuit it means that it's being used throughout the year which means development it means money coming in and hopefully some of that will trickle down to the spectator experience as well well from one aspect of porsche on circuit to porsche curves there's been a bit of change there as well and we know that we're losing some but we're also gaining more viewing area yeah it's there's two the two things here um obviously safety at the circuit and driver safety is paramount um we all know that and things have had to change um and now that le mans is part of the um, fia world endurance championship it has to come up and they have to improve their safety so that it is um it, it remains part of the fia um series of events so changes at Porsche Curves, um, it's been well publicized. This has been coming for some time. Um, what they've done is they've um, increased the gravel trap in front of um, what is the Travel Destinations campsite. Um, they have uh, put in energy absorbing barriers um, so that any cars that do go off there um, will come to rest hopefully safely. Um, but all that has meant that obviously everything has moved back um, and the viewing bank that was at the end of the of, of the Porsche Curves campsite for travel destinations there has been demolished completely. It was bulldozed earlier in the year um, and it has been rebuilt just a few meters back into the campsite. So there is a viewing area there now, but the view or the viewing bank is there now, but it is a brand new viewing bank. It is not possible um, for them to guarantee that the viewing bank is 100% stable. Now in the past public have had access to that viewing bank on the outside of the curve there um, but this year particularly um, it's the ACO have stipulated that it is off limits. Mm. Um, it is not a stable bank um, it is only just growing some grass on as we speak. Now we've been particularly clever I guess at travel destinations in saying well we contested for you for you the ACO so <laughs> those people who are staying in our private campsite of Porsche Curves or our event tents campsite will have access limited access to that viewing bank but everybody else unfortunately um, will be stopped before they reach that complex so please don't get upset it's not a travel destinations decision it is an ACO decision um, the viewing bank there is it's not possible to have thousands and thousands of people climbing it and, and going down up and down all the time because it will just get destroyed so it is off limits um, certainly for this year however the viewing bank on the other side of the track so we're now on the inside of the track um, has been extended um, so not many people um, may be even aware that there's a viewing bank there. Um, it was introduced a few years ago. It is accessed via the Beausajour campsite. Mm. So if you're camping in Beausajour, then it's right on your doorstep. Um, if you're entering as a, uh, a foot passenger, if you like, if you're walking into the campsite um, with your general enclosure ticket, that's absolutely no problem. There is a footpath. You walk in the main entrance, which is on the Beausajour roundabout. Um, in the center of the circuit and you just basically keep right um, as you walk in and there is a footpath all the way around and um, the viewing bank is um, beyond the camping area 
um, on the right hand side there it's only a short walk it's easily accessible and actually it's worthwhile going to and what they've done this year because you're not able to view on the other side um, they've actually extended the viewing area from the Beausejour side so you're now able to go um, a lot further down in the direction of Arnage, um, then you can um, walk further down that way um, and it's it's a much larger viewing area than it has been in the past so Yes, you're, people are losing a viewing area that, again, I'm sure people went to every year and they made a pilgrimage to go and watch from the Porsche curves. You can still go and watch from the Porsche curves. Unfortunately, it won't be from the outside, um, but it will be from this new bank on the inside. Um, it's an expanded area. They increased that at the end of last year, so it's, it's no problem with stability or anything like that. The viewing bank has always been there. There's very little changes that side of the circuit, so um, it's a, a good viewing area to go and watch. So, yes, um, things are changing, but I think in a good way, they've made sure that everybody can still watch the Porsche curves. And there will still be great racing on the track, so be sure to come out in full force and, you know, maybe try and find some place new to watch. You can still go to Porsche Curbs, but maybe you go up to Tete Rouge. Maybe you find some place new and start a new tradition with your family. Absolutely. RadioLeMond.com it's Mobile One, Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM and around the world on RadioLeMans.com. Hello there, I'm John Hindoff and this is our preview of the LMGTE category for 2015's Great Race. The GTEs, of course, are where the cars that most look like street cars, road cars, are to be found and uh, with entries uh, from Ferrari, Corvette, Porsche, Aston Martin and Dodge Viper it's almost isn't it a dream garage we've discussed the GTE AM category where at least two of the drivers have to be rated as non-professionals even if they perhaps make their money out of it it's all about their results and their performance in the past few years as judged by the ACO and the FIA the world governing body of motorsport but here in GTE it's all pros all goes, and frankly, lots of money being spent by the OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers, the guys who have what we call the works teams. That means they are run directly by or on behalf of the manufacturers. And uh, let's start with the Ferraris uh, of AF Corsa. Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, uh, is with me along with Shea Adam, one of our uh, Nismo Pit reporters for Radio Le Mans for 2015. I'll start with the 51 car because Jimmy Bruni, Tony Vlander, and Giancarlo Fisichella, first of all, are an absolutely... Or- Do we just stop after that? Also, of course, the first two of those are defending world champions in the FIA WEC. And, Graham, they've already won once this year. They're in a battle royale with the Aston Martins this year in the FIA WEC. They will want to go to Le Mans and make a statement. Uh, yeah, uh, it's what can you say? It's it, it must be just so frustrating for the rest of the teams and the rest of the drivers in this championship because there just doesn't seem to be a weak link at all mm. with the particularly the Bruni Valanda combo. Uh, it's it's absolutely outstanding. Uh, you're quite correct. They lead the uh, World Endurance Cup for GT drivers after two rounds. The win at Silverstone, only fourth position though, um, with uh, with the for the car at. Uh, 
at Spa, of course, in the second race of the season. But love a beautiful, beautifully poised, John. It's worth fielding this right here in terms of the Manufacturers' Championship because Ferrari do lead. Actually, sorry, they don't no. lead. It's Aston Martin lead um, from Ferrari, from Porsche. But look at the points. 59 points for Aston Martin, 58 points for um, for Ferrari, 57 points for Porsche. Double points here could make a massive, massive difference coming into, I guess, what we begin to start to think about the second half of the season. It's not the second half, of course, but it almost is. Uh, but, yeah, I think you're looking right there, right off the bat. Uh, you have to say, probably the favourites of this race. Uh, in, in fairness, here, the 71 AF Corsa Ferrari... Um, He's, in any other company, you would look at Davide Regon, uh, James Collado, uh, first British factory Porsche driver for a, a factory Ferrari driver, excuse me, for a very long time, and Olivier Beretta, Monegasque. You would look at those three and go, oh, yeah, well, they're, they're bound to be the, the class of the field. Now, by no means are they also runs here, but my goodness, the fact that we're not talking about them straight away in a car that clearly can do this race and has the reliability underlined many times and highlighted, the fact that we're not talking about them straight off the bat just shows how absolutely massively competitive this class is. There's not a strong or weak link amongst all of the AF course drivers in terms of the GTE Pro because they are all so reliable. I mean, you have Olivier Beretta, who's driven Everything, everything under the sun. He's won them all, I, I don't know, more times than years I've been alive, I think, at this point. And you you put him in a car with two guys who still have that, that young blood and that, that really urgent fire. But, oh, wait, Olivier is leading a championship over in the States right now. So I've been impressed with David Regan. I commentated on him in single-seaters. Um, in... Um, he has made the transition to the heavier cars, James Collado. Well, obviously, he had an interesting single-seater uh, future as well, he thought, but he's made the transition. Those two may well be names for further down the line, but are they names for right now? That's the thing. If anything happens to the 51, I think they would be. Yeah, you see. There you go. That's a really interesting thing to say, but something has to happen to the 51. Just the two Ferraris from AF Corsa uh, in amongst the rest of the manufacturers. Let's talk about two close to your heart. I know, Cher, the two from the Tudor United Sports Car Championship, uh, the Corvette Racing GM Chevy C7R Corvettes, the 63 and 64 numbers that they have had for quite a while now. Jan Magnus, Antonio Garcia and Ryan Briscoe in the 63 with Ollie Gavin, uh, Yardley Hastings' finest sports car driver, Tommy Milner and Jordan Taylor back uh, again. Well, yes, you'd have any one of those six. If you were picking a GTE driving squad, you'd have any one of those six. And these are guys who have driven together before. These guys have been placed together because the chemistry works. Well, the th- the 63 car, I almost said the 3 car because that's what it is in the States, yep. came out of the gates firing. They won the 24 hours of Daytona together. They won the 12 hours of Sebring together. They work very, very, very well as a team. Bringing Ryan Briscoe in was a good move, and I'm not surprised that Doug Feehan went with that. 
they did not drop Jordan Taylor, however. Doug Fiance, the, uh, the program yes, director, sorry. by the way, we should say, yeah. Jordan Taylor ran with them last year. He ran with Magnuson and Garcia. They finished second in the race because they had a mechanical issue about halfway through, which cost them a potential win. The reason the 51 was the ultimate winner, which we should mention from last year, they Ferrari, had no yeah. faults. Yeah. The 63 had one little slip-up, and that cost them. But the guys in the 64, they don't have a podium in the Tudor United Sports Car Championship yet between Tommy Milner and Ollie Gavin. They have poles. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had Ollie on pole at Daytona, I think it was. They need some good luck. And Jordan might just be the one to do that. Um, It's just a a little, I think from my point of view, it's a little odd that we are going to say this, but second isn't good enough for Corvette, and they haven't won Le Mans for... Oh, way too long by them by, by their standards now. Their first Le Mans was in 2000. This will be the 15th straight that they've done, and the last one they won was 2011. Too long. It's been entirely too long. They want to win beyond description. If both cars finished on the podium, not good enough. Mm, you it, need to be first. The rivalry in, in recent years, Graham, has been between... Corvette Racing and Aston Martin Racing. It's a healthy rivalry. It's a respectful rivalry. It's it's a beautiful thing. And this year, it'll be the two Corvettes against the three Aston Martins, 95, 97, and 99. Now, you know, last... Uh, uh, the last few years, we've been used to seeing these guys duking it out. Two V8 car, front-engined cars, very different philosophies. One from the US, one from the UK. I see no, <laughs> I see no uh, cessation of, of of rivalry or, or indeed competitive nature this year either. And particularly again, we've got the Daintree and the 95 moving up into a full pro lineup with Marco Sorensen. Uh, Nicky Team and uh, Christopher Nygaard. Uh, Marco, a very interesting addition to that crew. Uh, absolutely. I, know I think this is the one weekend of the year we'll put aside our traditional British reserve of letting the other guy go first. And uh, I think the, uh, the Aston Martin Racing guys most certainly want to beat the rest of this field, but they particularly want to beat the Corvettes. And it does seem, doesn't it, year after year after year, we end up seeing usually Darren Turner... And by the way, watch out for what I gather is going to be an extraordinary art car livery on that car. Mm. We've not seen that yet um, on the 97 car. It's usually Darren Turner and either an AF Corsa or Rizzi in the past Ferrari or a Corvette. Um, absolutely wheel to wheel for lap after lap after lap. And I think we've, we've seen that for, what, three or four years on the trot now. Mm. And you know, it's almost like you've seen the highlights of the previous year, but it's the same again and again and again. And it just goes to show that with the dishonourable exception of one recent year uh, that they do get the balance of performance between these cars very well done mm. indeed um, Aston Martin Racing what do you say they've they've worked very hard to develop the, the vantage from the point where uh, fr- uh, you know, uh, straight line speed was a major problem with the aerodynamic disadvantage that was inherent in the car from the early days to something now which has been on occasion the fastest thing on four wheels in a straight line in um in in GTE, so uh, what do I think? I think there's a battle royal coming between the Ferraris and the Corvettes, and all three of those Aston Martins. You're right, by the way, about Marcus Sorensen, mm. coming man. I think in GTE, Nicky team, mega quick. Christopher Nygaard, uh, a very competent professional driver, but I think slightly put into the shape by the other two in that team. Darren Turner and Stefan Mucker have been together. 
longer than most, you know, lengthily married couples, and it's still going well. Bobby Bell. Oh, Robert I've got Bell. a picture I don't need right now. No, no, I, I, I should have said it, should I? Rob <laughs> Bell joins that team not for the first time and is very happy to be there as well, of course, on loan from McLaren GT to Aston Martin Racing once again. Uh, but that 97 crew is one to conjure with. But coming into this as winners last time mm. out, albeit, I think it's fair to say, fortunate because of the penalty that was doled out at Spa to the 51 Ferrari, um, is uh, is the 99 crew, and that's Fernando Reese, the Brazilian. Driving uh, I... better than I've ever seen him drive before. He has assumed the mantle of team leader there. He's a yep. very, very softly spoken young man. And when you interview him in the pits here, you'll have to get the microphone so close because he speaks so softly that the human ear can barely actually register it. He's very small of stature. His talking is done in his lap times and his consistency. We've always known, Graham, haven't we, that he's had the speed. What he's been able oh, yeah. to do this year is do that lap after lap after lap. And you're right, there was a bit of fortune in the fact that it was a mistake in the pit stops by EF Corsa and they hit a bit of pit equipment. Yep. Uh, they let a tyre roll out into the, uh, the, the, into the fast lane, shall I say, yes. Um, and that cost them their shot at the race. But Fernando Reese, in a car that was clearly suffering through tyre wear, fought off at various times of the race, both Jimmy Bruni and Tony Volanda, and did that with a plum. That tells me that that young man, Fernando Reese, has come of age. I think that's right. And, you know, to give, uh, give um, uh, listeners perhaps coming to uh, this, this racing for the first time this year, and I'm sure there are a legion of you, Fighting off Jimmy Bruni and Tony Valando is akin to fighting off both a puma and a tiger. And, <laughs> at the same you know, time. At the same time. But no, Fernando, I thought, had the drive of his life at Spa. With and, a toothpick. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> with, oh, yes. Uh, but, uh, a and, blunt and toothpick like, at that, by uh, the way. <laughs> and looked as if he could do it purely on pace and yes. defence. Uh, Alex Modell, I thought, on a great run as well there yep. too. Those two are combining better and better. Shouldn't forget, by the way, Fernando didn't race here last year yep. uh, because he had uh, one. Of, he was one of a, uh, a gaggle of people, including James Collado, already mentioned, who had massive shunts in the Porsche curves uh, last year. But uh, Fernando will be uh, at the wheel of the 99 car throughout. And then joining those two, Richie Stanaway. Rapid now, Richie. As Rapid Richie, yeah. GP3 race winner, am I right? Oh, is it GP3? Uh, GP3 or GP2 at Monaco, yeah. just a few weeks back. Yeah. Uh, but so Richie, uh, you know what? If sports car racing can hang on to that young man, uh, there is a long, long career ahead of him. Uh, he is uh, not just a star in the making, he's a star. star of now. And I think those three, I think, have been the surprise package of this year so far in GTE Pro. Remarkable think- how New Zealand, and Richie Stanaway is another Kiwi, uh, yep. a, a country, a proud country of somewhere under 5 million, can turn out sporting excellence at whatever sport, whether it's motorsport, and you look at Scott Dixon, you look at Richie Stanaway, you look at Brendan Hartley, you know, the um, the other guys who uh, uh, have come out through... Uh, through the motorsport, you look. Don't at, forget Mitch Evans. Uh, we'll Mitch, talk about him. Uh, Earl Bamber. Absolutely, um, those guys, Earl Bamber and, and Mitch Evans, as Half well. Half the New Zealand population is on this grid. <laughs> well, you know, you say that, and, and it's it's easy to to make a joke about that. Yeah, four million. I lived in a town 
in in the UK that had a million and a half within its boundaries. Yeah, you know, this is this is a tiny, tiny country, and we're just talking motorsport. Let's not forget the quality of their cricket and rugby. Well, can we? Can we forget their quality? I'd like to forget the quality of their cricket. Just but th- for sure. this is a nation. This is a nation that absolutely embraces sport, whatever sport it is. America's Cup. Cricket, ball sports, athletics, motorsport, and all of these guys, when you talk to them, know their sporting history. And they will talk about the Bruce McLarens and the Denny Holmes and, you know, going back through the years. This is, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting thing. I'd love to hear the research about this, about how hard these guys, but somebody like Mitch Evans and Richie Stanaway left home in their late teens to follow their dreams. Absolutely and, right. And didn't Absolutely just right. didn't just travel a couple of hundred miles, you know, down to the centre of England or go from one coast to Indianapolis. They went to the other side of the world. Literally. Yeah, I, I, in terms of the quality, John, let's not forget this just, just as a little snippet. Looking back to the last race in the World Championship, uh, we had two of those guys winning their class. Absolutely right. And we had a third of them on the podium. Uh, you know, so three of those four guys were on the podium at the last World Championship race. Uh, and, you know, it, it is quality in depth from countries that perhaps not that long ago you wouldn't have expected that. We'll talk about Switzerland when we get oh. to LMP1. My God, it's an astonishing story. But, yeah, I mean, Richie's done away for now. Uh, standout talent. Um, I think the 99 car could be a factor. Alex McDowell getting, uh, gaining in confidence, you know, race by race by race. And, you know, uh, Aston Martin Racing certainly going to be in the mix there with all three cars. Uh, the ones that we haven't talked about uh, in that uh, uh, pro category uh, is, of course, uh, Porsche. Porsche Team Manti, uh, as we should call it, because that is its correct title. The 911 RSR came of age... Uh, a couple of years ago, perhaps uh, a race they weren't expecting to win. The 91 and 92 cars this year have, respectively, uh, Richard Leeds, uh, Michael Christensen and York Bergmeister in the 91 with Patrick Peeler, Fred Makovicki. Is he still the best GT driver uh, in the world? He's got to be considered somewhere close to it. And Wolf Hensler. So, factory drivers all. Uh, this, to me, is interesting because, as I say, I think a couple of years ago, Shea, Porsche weren't expecting to win that race. They were. It was the start of the new programme. They were very magnanimous in their victory because of the tragic circumstances in which the, the race was run. They want to win again. And there's a clear, clear signal for me with the changes that they've made to the car over the last 18 months that they feel that they can win this race again. And... The other part of their GT business is GT3, not racing here, of course, at Le Mans, but they've been strangely absent from that. This has been the flagship program, and this program needs to deliver right now. It does, and uh, some of the drivers that they've had in their GT cars over in the States, in, in the GTLM class, are racing here this weekend. It's not a matter of worrying about a championship in the States, which normally it would be. It's a matter of getting this win. They've mm. been interchanging the drivers over there because they really, it's not their number one goal. Le Mans is. And interestingly enough, we have a rookie in one of the factory pro cars. That's Michael Christensen. Calling him a rookie, though, a little bit of a misnomer because the kid has already won the 12 hours of Sebring driving with no less than Bergmeister and Long. So he's got the experience behind him. 
It's an interesting one, this, Graham, isn't it? Because in some ways, Mission 2014 with the LMP1 programme rather overshadowed what Porsche Team Manti were doing in the GT category. But GT cars is Porsche's bread and butter. It's Porsche Motorsports bread and butter. They, I, I think... They probably wouldn't admit this, but I think even the closest people to Porsche, the most Porsche files, would say that they've neglected GT3 in the last few years. They're going to put that right later on uh, in 2015. But these guys really feel they've got something to prove, I feel. Yeah, and you know, if you if, if you had to put uh, money on any of these teams ta- tactically, it would certainly be Porsche. Olaf Mantai uh, got... knows his way around 24 Absolutely. hours. Absolutely, and uh, you know, but uh, less. There will be those that, that don't know that Porsche Team Manti might have a last name above the door, but it's owned by Porsche. Mm-hmm. Um, it is now a, a absolutely de facto Porsche factory team. Um, and there's talent in depth here. I mean, the 91 car, Ricard Leitz, uh, you know, just race without race. You look at the Audi guys in P1 and the kind of the career records they've got. Well, ditto for most of the Porsche factory Correct. GT teams in GT racing. And, uh, and uh, uh, Ricard Leitz is certainly one of them. It's going to be interesting to see how Michael Christensen performs here. One, I think, of seven Danes, another small nation, but seven Danes on this on this list. Uh, as well, and Jörg Bergmeister. Well, Jörg, uh, how old is Jörg now? Uh, Jörg is two, hundred and three. Actually, he's in his thirties. You're he... kidding. Nope, he's thirty-nine. I remember when he first came to the American Le Mans series. Denmark, by the way, has five and a half million, so it's you know pretty much the same as New Zealand. Yeah, uh, and Switzerland has about eight. And so Mark has a slightly less good rugby team, though, in fairness. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, but I think they've put the mind to it. It would probab- it but, probably but York, still work. Uh, the, the, the point, though, with York is utter gents, absolutely committed. Utter pro. To absolutely uh, uh, professional. And if push came to literal shove... Uh, then your Bergmeister, I think, is someone I'd like on my team. He's a gentle and giant when you yes. meet him. When he gets in, I mean, he is a giant. He's six four, six five, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, in the car, he will not be intimidated by anybody, and it takes a bit to to get him riled up. But you know, let's not forget. Bang You've tried, haven't you, John? You've I've, tried. Oh, many times. <laughs> um, uh, I I remember him in his first season in the ELMS. He was picked to help get the go boxes for the takeaway food for the teams. And when I asked um, why to the team PR, the answer was quite simple. She said, he's the tallest, he's got the longest arms, he can get the most between the end of his hands and his chin. (laughs) (laughs) She was brilliant. And and he didn't even think to complain about that. Um, You know, when... Well, if you get him right, he will. It will take him a bit to get him boiling, but he's not going to be intimidated. He's gone toe to toe with Corvette uh, and um, Ferrari drivers in the past in the American Le Mans series. Uh, look at any video site, by the oh, way, yes. for the end of Sebring uh, and the end of Master Race with Laguna Seca um, a few years ago. Uh, but I, I just I want to underline something here, guys. We're talking about works drivers in all of these uh, nine entries uh, in LMGT Pro, uh, LMGT Pro. And what we mean by this is the kind of professionalism, talent, dedication that you would find in a Formula One team, in a Formula One driver. It is exactly the same kind of regime. These guys are working 
with the manufacturer, with the sponsors. They are training. They are going to training camps. The fact that they drive a GT car that isn't going to win this race outright, Graham, does not at all point the finger or make any value judgment on how professional or talented these guys are. Oh, a, a billion trillion light years away from from it john the, 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 this is the peak look we we talk about all sorts of races around the world and you know a stellar gt field i'm looking down that list and you know we'll not forget by the way the number 92 crew patrick pilay i think is driving as well as he ever has done oh, great wolf hensler is the addition to that team for the Le Mans 24 hours and i think you know you mentioned fred makovicki uh, there's one point worth making here which is fred mako is also the nominated reserve for the lmp1 squad so set Sven Muller is the nominated reserve on the Porsche Junior drivers for the GT team. But uh, Fred Makovicki, uh, Jimmy Bruni, for me, Darren Turner, actually, um, you know, another man uh, that epitomises it. Uh, epitomises that that kind of you know absolutely died in the wall, utter professional GT driver extraordinaire. You know, could mould this in his own image uh, almost. Uh, you know, in terms of the way he wills that race car and. It's a joy to watch this. There is no doubt in my mind that there will be periods during the, the 24 Hours of Le Mans this year when the, uh, the rhythm will start to get into the battle at the very front of the field. And at some point in the broadcast truck, someone's going to realise, oh, my God, they're knocking lumps out of each other again. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get that fantastic 45 minutes to two-hour period where what we watch are the kind of things that have the Porsche... Um, you know, Aston Martin or Corvette, um, you know, uh, or Ferrari parts truck guys, you know, wringing their hands because they know that there's going to be parts required pretty soon. Go and get yeah, another front splitter. It's not. It's, yes, and it, it, it's in the in the most positive way possible. Yes, yes, yes. These guys are pin sharp. I mean, we, I think was it was it you, Shay, that had the conversation with Matty Griffin at the uh, the test day about the. The, the level of commitment they've got to show through, for instance, the Porsche curves. Yes. Fantastic, fantastic insight into the difference of challenge between the role of a factory driver in a P1 car and the role of a factory driver in a GT car that, you know, you've got to be utterly committed on the single line you get through the Porsche curves. You're doing that wheel to wheel with somebody else. And you know what? The margin of error is zero. Uh, that's well, the, how the, good these guys have got to be. These are 12, 1300 kilo cars so you know that's over three thousand pounds for those of you who who work in that two and a quarter pounds yeah pretty much i getting on for three thousand pounds when you turn these cars in and you're heading towards the apex you are totally committed here there's no backing off of that there's no uh, do you know what i think i'll just modify my line on the way out or on the way in that isn't happening you are com- Completely and utterly committed, and yes, there's an element of downforce, but there's a lot of mechanical grip. These cars are moving around. You are hustling these cars right throughout the sometimes three hours plus that these guys are driving them. Yeah, you look at the forearms on some of these guys, yes. and they do look substantial. And their necks, the neck muscle that you have to have, because keep in mind, it's not only moving your head around, but then you've got a helmet on as well. So it's adding even more weight and strain to your body. You get out of the car, you maybe get a six-hour break. Oh, but then you got to do it again hmm. and again and again. And Graham, interesting uh, stat for you. The 92 car has one win between the three drivers. Who's the one who got the win? Wolf Hensler. There you go. Uh, I mean, the, I think the you know the the other thing I think about this field, John, is, and we'll talk about this with the other classes. We love 
variety. And it's not just the, the, the makes and models we're, we're talking about here. We're talking high-revving V8s uh, the, in the Ferraris and mid-engine V8s. We're talking the rumbling V8s in the Corvettes and the Aston Martins. And we're talking the rear-engined uh, flat six in the Porsches. They look different. They sound very different. They behave very differently. And this is what the fans' tracks I'd love to see. Oh, absolutely. It's exactly how you, 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 you described it. It's that hustling. You can see them just Working. searching for that last millimetre right. of grip. All right. So in that variety, this time you get to pick first year. Who wins 2015 Le Mans in the GTE Pro category? The 64 Corvette Racing. Oh, straight. No, <laughs> no, no doubt. So, Ollie Gavin, Tommy Milner and Jordan Taylor, you've got Shea Adam to blame when the car expires at the end of the warming up lap. Jordan, please don't come kick me in the shins or something. Um, no, the, the very simple reason, they need it more than anyone else on this grid. The 64 car needs some good luck. Those crew guys need it. They work way too hard. Had an hard. awful year last year They as had well. a terrible year last year. No mm. wins, no pulls. I think one podium, maybe two. They need some good fortune, and I think that a win here would make them forget the last year and a half. Graham Goodwin, front, rear, mid, engine. Who are you going for? Well, I'm going to stay clear of the Corvettes because that's the direction that my American colleague has gone in. Uh, you'd have to be an absolute idiot to go uh, look <laughs> elsewhere other than the number 51 uh, Ferrari. So in that vein, I'm going to go for... The 99 um, Aston Martin. No, I'm going to go for the 97. And for oh. the, actually, oddly enough, for almost exactly the same reason as Shea went for the 64 Corvette, because if you were looking for a crew that's had bad luck doled out in industrial quantities you'd have to go a long way um to find i i again think back to that awful race just a couple of years ago yes and mm-hmm. the spirit those guys showed and they Great. lost it on a on a judgment call uh eventually right at the end and i think this race owes them this um well i am going against both of you because that's not like you john no 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 <laughs> i i, I I look at Fernando Reis, Alex McDowell and Richie Stanaway and say they've got the momentum at the moment and in terms of the Aston Martins. I look at the Ferrari of Jimmy Bruni and Torley Veland. I Do you know what? I just think the 458 is a tad long in the tooth. I don't know which one it's going to be, but I think a Porsche is going to win. I just have a feeling that this year is another Porsche year. Now, whether that'll be the same in LMP... And who we pick in LMP2, LMP1 and LMP2, you'll have to stay tuned to Radio Le Mans. And to our next set of previews in the 2015 series, my thanks to Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, and to our Nismo pit lane reporter, Shea Adam. Remember, the whole race, and indeed all of Race Week, is live on Mobile One Radio Le Mans 91.2 FM and around the world on RadioLeMans.com. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.